This is Michael Cowan, and welcome to Trial Lawyer Nation. You are the leader in the courtroom, and you want the jury to be looking to you for the answers. When you figure out your theory, never deviate. You want the facts to be consistent, complete, incredible. The defense has no problem running out the clock. Delay is the friend of the defense. It's tough to grow a firm by trying to hold on and micromanage. You've got to front load a simple structure for jurors to be able to hold on to. What types of creative things can we do as lawyers, even though we don't have a trial setting? Whatever you've got to do to make it real, you've got to do to make it real. But the person who needs convincing is you. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Trial Lawyer Nation. Your source to win bigger verdicts, get more cases, and manage your law firm. And now, here's your host, noteworthy author, sought-after speaker, and renowned trial lawyer, Michael Cowan. On today's Trial Lawyer Nation, I'm joined by our Director of Marketing and Business Development, Delisi Friday. How are you doing today, Delisi? Good. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Uh, as we're going to talk about today, I just got out of trial yesterday. Uh, I tried the hell out of a case, and uh, I got a mediocre verdict, and I'm not happy about it. Well, I have to say that I think it's very admirable to do a podcast when you still feel a little raw about it and it's not exactly what you were hoping for. So I feel like today is going to be a really honest conversation. I'm doing my best. I will tell you that, uh, you know, when I gave you the idea that we would do a podcast when I got out of trial, uh, I thought I was going to win win big <laughs> and we were going to talk about how great it went. Uh, and it is frightening uh, to sit here and talk about how things didn't go as well as I expected. Uh, you know, you have the fear, will anyone ever want to send me a case again? Uh, people just think I'm a big fraud. If I went out there and, it, you know, the fact is when you try hard cases, you don't always get what you want. And, and you know, you know that going in, but it still, it still sucks when it happens to you. It does. And I will say that I think the only way you grow is to step out of your comfort zone. So I appreciate you doing this, and I hope all of our listeners do too, because it's not easy. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for doing it. Um, so for everyone listening, I knew a little bit about the case, and I wasn't in trial. So I really am going into this, as they say often in this podcast, with a beginner's mind. <laughs> um, so let's start off, you know, where were you, and tell us a little bit about the case. Okay, I was in federal court in Laredo, Texas. Um, it's a border community. It is a huge trucking community. Like every third vehicle on the road, especially on the interstate, is an, is a tractor trailer. Uh, it is that's the business. Uh, almost everyone in the community, if they don't work in trucking or logistics, they have someone in their family that works in trucking or logistics. So it's an interesting place to try a truck. Uh, we had a case. It was a rear rear end collision. Uh, a truck tractor, so it didn't have the trailer behind it. Rear-ending a passenger vehicle. Uh, the biggest challenge in the case was that uh, our expert says it was a 5.6 mile an hour change in speed because the 18-wheeler hit us at 5 miles an hour. Their expert says it was a 5.2 mile an hour change in speed, but both of them said it was a 5 mile an hour impact. Uh, and our client got the regular soft tissue treatment, and when she didn't get better, she had a herniated disc, and she got a cervical fusion surgery. And so one of the biggest fights in the case is, you know, did she have to have a fusion because of this crash? 
or was a five mile an hour crash too slow to cause this? And it, the surgery was for pre-existing conditions. And uh, the jury, unfortunately, uh, accepted the defense's position because they gave us the medical bills that were not related to the surgery, which was $30,000. The other 110000 were related to the surgery, and they did not give those to us. Uh, and then they gave us another 80000 for the pain, suffering, and impairment. Uh, so, you know, like I said, it's, they had only, on the, let's see, at mediation, they'd offered us 7000 Pre-trial, they offered us twenty five, And so, you know, I could have been fake in coming and say, hey, I tried a case. They only offered us 25000 We got eighty. We more than tripled the pretrial offer. We kicked their ass. Yeah. Um, but that would really be disingenuous. Uh, you know, that would be, I guess, the what the classic marketing people would say to do. You know, always spin it and try to. Make I will it not take offense to that, Michael. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying you. I said the classic but marketing people. I, I think you're uh, you're being really honest, and that's yeah. who we are. We we are, as Nick Rowley says, brutally honest. Yeah. And the brutal honesty is, I don't judge my success and failure by how an insurance adjuster evaluates the case, just because mm-hmm. I. Beat their value, and who knows? I may. I'm sure I could have gotten them to offer more had I come down to what they considered a more reasonable number too. So I, I, you know, I don't want to pretend like, you know, that's that's all they had ever offered me. But you know, had I just nosedived and collapsed, I mean, had I known what the result would be, I probably would have. You know, (laughs) I may have been able to get something, but it would have been difficult. I mean, would have had to cut the heck out of the medical bills, cut the fees down to put a little bit. And I talked to my client about it. I said, look, I could probably negotiate a settlement that would put you know, ten, fifteen thousand dollars in your pocket if I cut the bills and beg the doctors to cut their bills, uh, or we can go for it. And she says, Well, let's go for it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we we made a conscious decision. We tried the heck out of the case and unfortunately it didn't go our way. You are using the phrase it didn't go our way, which um is interesting to me because on one hand, as an outsider, I don't see this as a, a true loss because a true loss in my mind is a big fat zero, right? But I can also understand the feelings and the emotions that you probably have right now because it's not exactly what you wanted. So you went into this and the offer was 7,000. You got more. So I just want to point out there is a part of this that in my mind is still, still a win because you didn't get a big fat zero, but I know you feel differently. So can you kind of explain to me how and why you feel like it's a loss? Yeah, there's two reasons. One, one of my definitions for a win at trial is, was my client materially better off for having gone to trial? Um, with the verdict we had, given all the money we spent to try the case, and the fact there's medical owing, I'm really at a choice really between leaving your owing medical bills or cutting my fees and maybe some of my expenses to try to cut a deal with the doctors to at least not put her in debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't feel like she's materially better off for having gone to trial. I'm not putting a big fat check in her pocket or even, you know, I don't know. I'm going to try to find some way to get her something because I just feel like that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing is, you know, what do I believe the case is worth? I believe in my heart that she got a herniated disc in that crash or at least whatever pre-existing conditions he has that weren't bothering her, that weren't causing any pain, became painful and needed surgery because of the crash. And I was not able to convince the jury to allow damages for that. I was not able to convince it was more likely than not that that was the truth. And I think that is the truth. And so since I feel like the truth didn't get reflected in the verdict, I feel like 
And I started Lamont would say the jury failed, not me. That, that I didn't fail. That I, my job was to fight, and I did my job. And and I'm not kicking myself in the butt. I'm not feeling bad about it. I know when you try cases and you try cases that are on the edge, like low property damage cases, big gaps in medical cases. In this case, we had you know some days when she went to the doctor with a one pain rating or zero pain rating, and the pain came back. You know, you you get these issues that would make it harder. Uh, you're not going to win them all, and uh, you're not always going to get a home run every time you go up to bat. Uh, you just like the Cincinnati Bengals. They were a great football team. They went to the Super Bowl, but they didn't win. Uh, that doesn't mean they're a bad football team because they didn't win the Super Bowl. So I don't feel like I'm a bad lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm looking back. I think I tried the case well. It felt good. I felt relaxed. I felt confident. Uh, but it didn't go my way. And so, of course, if I had tried over again, I'd do something different because why would I do <laughs> the, <laughs> the same? You know. But at the same time, I'm not beating myself up. I feel like I left everything out on the field mm-hmm. uh, and gave it everything I had. But I know, I mean, just from doing focus groups, you can focus group the same case with the same presentation and different people are going to see it differently. And that's just, I think part of the humility we need to have as trial lawyers is you have to have the confidence to go in there and try every case, but to know that, you know, winning and losing is not entirely within your control. Uh, And no matter how hard you work, no matter, you know, there's no magic, like, consultant or other lawyer that can teach you this magic trick that's always going to win every single time. I wish there was. I've been looking for it for 20-something years, and, <laughs> and, and I haven't found it. And and I do know that I've got in there, and I've won these cases. I've gotten, you know, three to $500,000 on a case with a, you know, four or five-mile-an-hour uh, collision. Mm-hmm. So I know I know it can happen. I think that was one of the things that, that hurts more is because I know I've done it before, and I didn't get it done this time. It's just frustrating. Yeah. Uh, it's not like I'm going to go quit. It's not going to go, you know, not like. My client's not mad at me. They're happy with the trial. They thank me afterwards. Uh, I don't think I look bad. Um, but I, then again, you know, to pretend like it doesn't hurt would be a lie too. And I think when we lie to ourselves about how we feel, then we can't process it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then it festers and it, then it enters. It's the what started them on. And I think she got it from someone else calls it the saboteur. You have a little voice inside your head that's telling you. Like, you know, oh, you can't really do this. You're a fraud. You're going to lose again. And if you don't allow yourself to feel the disappointment and pretend like it's not there, then that voice gets even louder. Oh, absolutely. I think if you hide it and pretend like it's not there, it makes it a million times worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you've said before, whenever something like this happens, you have a nice bottle of wine and you get up and you do it again. And you said to me this morning, I said, how are you feeling? I'm I'm very happy that you're here. You said just because you lose a game doesn't mean you don't go to practice the next day. Exactly. <laughs> so thank you for coming to practice again today, Michael yeah. Cowan. <laughs> well, you're you're welcome. And uh, no, look, that's what we did. And I didn't even have the wine last night. Although I you might did have, it? I didn't. You know, I got home and no, I ate craft macaroni and cheese <laughs> that my that my youngest son didn't eat. My wife had made chalupas, and I was trying to be healthier. And then I went back and forth. I thought about like ordering. Uh, Ruth Chris from Uber Eats, but I thought you know, steak yeah. by the time it gets to my house on Uber Eats isn't going to be that good. And I've been trying yeah. to eat healthy anyway. Although mac and cheese, I had mac and cheese, a navel orange, and some uh, pecans. <laughs> I had a weird dinner. You but know? it's just kind of what was laying around the house. You know, the mac and cheese was already fixed for my youngest. And, you know, so that's. Maybe what, you can still have your nice bottle of wine this weekend if I, you want it. If I'm going to have a drink to. with Sonia Rodriguez, my partner, after, uh, and whoever else wants to. Not, that's not actually not true. It's not whoever else wants to join us. It's someone that I'm really close to wants to join us. I feel like it's a special moment when yeah. you 
when you share that with someone. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is, uh, you know, you have to be able to find people that you can be real with. And to me, the worst thing, I guess the worst thing would be someone, I mean, once I remember I, I had a case and didn't do so well and the referring lawyer said, what well, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you pull her? I said, and oh. like, okay, that was the worst thing. Yeah. It's like, don't second guess me. I did everything you could. But the, the second worst thing to me are the people trying to say, oh, you, well, you really won. You really did a great job. I'm like, no, I didn't. That's bullshit. Uh, because again, I, I have a, I set a very high standard for myself. Um, we often meet that standard. Um, and I'm not gonna feel bad for having high standards for myself and my firm. I mean, my, mm-hmm. my view of victory, like I said, is in that case would have been, you know, 300, 400, 500,000, you know, 80,000, 100,000, 200,000. I would not have considered a victory. Yeah. Other lawyers may have, I mean, that's fine for them, but for me, it's not. You know, we've had a lot of people who've asked us to talk about low PD cases because it's a common case that people have on their dockets. So in your mind, when you were trying this case, what did you see were the challenges and what were the things that you did in trial to try and overcome those? Yeah. So low property damage is always a challenge uh, because, you know, excuse my language, but I call it the oh shit test. <laughs> so if you look at a photo of the vehicle and you say, oh shit, what happened to the people? Oh shit, are they Okay then it's a much easier case to try. When you look at the property damage and you don't think like, oh, that's not much, when that's your visceral reaction, then it's much harder to win the case. Uh, and in this particular case, the judge did most of the jury selection. We, he was lucky enough, he gave us each 15 minutes, which is not a whole lot of time. Wow. Uh, but in federal court, sometimes you get zero. So I, I, I viewed it, I'll talk about mindset a little bit later, but I just, instead of getting mad about only having 15 minutes, I was grateful that I had 15 minutes. Okay. Uh, because that's 15 minutes that you don't normally have. Uh, and so it, you know, the one time in trial that the saboteur was really talking to me is the judge is asking people questions. And one of the questions he asked is, anyone been in a wreck? And about 75% of the panel had been in a crash. Some of them, some pretty bad crashes. I mean, T-bone vehicles total, totaled and, yeah. and not one of them had been hurt. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like everyone here has been crashing up and here. That's a huge life experience. Yeah. You know, I'm in a federal court where they're not going to be taking people off for cause. I mean, I'd have to get them to say they, they would not follow the judge's instructions. They would not be fair. And people can come say, well, that's not right. That's not what the law is. Well, I know my judge and I know yeah. what, how the judge was going to interpret cause strikes. Uh, and I knew that I wasn't likely to get many. And so the only thing I could do is turn to the group trust the group and hope the group would save me. And so when I got up, you know, I, one of the first things I said, well, I think a lot of people here have talked about this, but who here is, you know, knows about there's crashes, there are really bad crashes. The vehicles are all smashed up and nobody got hurt. Hands shoot up and tell me about that. Tell me about that. Well, how about the other way? Does anyone ever heard of a crash where the cars don't look that bad, but people get hurt? Yeah. I saw some hands go up. I'm like, yes. Yeah. And this is where I've usually won those cases is usually there's been somebody who's known someone that got surgery, you know, in the, something similar to what our client got. And uh, juror number one, who I was scared of because she had been in a wreck with an 18 wheeler and it had been worse and she didn't get hurt. Uh, she worked for a doctor. She actually worked for the same clinic as the defense expert. <laughs> oh, man. And she said. Yes, we schedule patients all the time. The cars don't look bad, but some of them even end up getting surgery because they do get hurt. So I guess, okay, it's real. And then I had a number of other hands go up saying that they knew that it happened. And so can we all agree you can't just look at the car? So, you know, although it didn't 
you know, so I don't know, maybe it wasn't the property damage, maybe it was other stuff in the medical record. You know, I'm trying to reach the point where I'm in there, I'm in the moment, I'm not thinking, I'm, I'm detached from the result. I'm purely, am I giving my maximum effort or not? That, that is my goal. If I was truly there, then I would be able to go talk to the jurors afterwards and ask, well, what were the factors? You know, what was it? How did I do? You know, really, that's how I did because it's not about me. But, you know, why, did, why didn't you believe that this person needed surgery because of this crash? Mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. And so the judge asked me, well, Mr. Cowan, do you want to talk to the jurors? I said, judge, it feels kind of like I asked somebody on a date and they said no. Now do I want to call them and ask them, well, why don't you want to go out with me? <laughs> It just feels kind of. It I mean, it's a good example. Uh, <laughs> well, so so let me ask you that. I I feel like we talk a lot about mindset on the podcast, and it's not something you do here or there. It is consistent work to focus on your mindset and make a difference by doing it regularly. And you mentioned mindset a moment ago, so if we can talk a little bit about that, what was your mindset during the trial, and and tell me. What did you do to prepare with your mindset? And how do you think there's still some areas to improve? Yeah, I have a a little mantra I developed for trial, which is the judge wants to do the right thing and the judge wants to follow the law and make the right rulings. The jury is here because they want to do the right thing. Uh, I'm going to trust them to do justice in this case. And I'm going to have fun because I think having fun in trial makes it more likely that you're going to be relaxed and you're going to be more, you know, if you don't trust the jurors, I mean, what are the alternatives? We can trust the jury, which means we're going to be more relaxed, more open with them, better communicators. And if it turns out that we're wrong and they were going to screw us over, they're going to do it anyway. Yeah. Or we can not trust the jury and then we're going to be, trial's going to be miserable. We're not going to be able to sleep at night. We're going to be guarded. They're going to see it in our body language. They're going to hear it in our voice. And we're going to be even less likely to win. And so, you know, Thinking about something bad maybe happening doesn't help. And so I really, as much as I wanted to win, I was trying not to worry about that. I was trying to worry about how can I best communicate with these jurors? How can I best tell my story with this witness and just be in the moment and what I was doing? And I'll be honest, I was not, this was the least tense I've ever been in a trial, even while the jury was deliberating. I mean, so I've gotten a lot of progress, but am I so zen that I can go talk to them afterwards? You know, and, and most people do. I know, talk to the jurors afterwards, and I should grow up and do it. I just wasn't there. I was just emotionally, I wasn't there. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I don't think you need to grow up to do it. I think mm-hmm. it's being honest if you are just not prepared to have that conversation yet. Yeah. And I think it's better to be prepared to have that conversation than to do it and not be, and it be an awful conversation. You don't really hear what they're saying. Yeah. Um, it might make things a little worse. Yeah. Um, and in state court, you know, we could find out who they are and we can go get someone to talk to them later. In federal court, we can't. And, and so that was our one chance. We, we're not going to get, we had to give the jury courts back. We don't have their names and addresses. I mean, mm-hmm. I guess I could have written them down, but yeah. during jury selection, but we don't have them. Uh, actually, I probably would have broken some federal rule had I done that. So they don't want you chasing them out afterwards. The judge, like I said, gave us that one limited opportunity if any jurors wanted to talk to us. The other thing is, it can drive you nuts because people don't know why they make decisions. Then people make a, a, a gut decision and they come up with reasons to justify it later. And if you had changed the things that gave them that reason, they would have come up with another reason to justify with what they did in their gut. And so it's not always useful. I, I think it's probably helpful, but you have to take what they say with a grain of salt. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries, 
and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. And now, back to the show. So let me ask you, do you still trust the jurors? Has this changed that at all? These jurors are jurors in general. <laughs> jurors uh, in general. You know, honestly, I do trust that I think that these jurors went in there wanting to do the right thing, and they did what they thought the right thing was. I don't agree with their decision, but I respect their decision. I respect the fact that they took time out of their lives and they did what they think was right. They listened to evidence. They saw the evidence differently than I did. But I mean, the other side gets to fight too, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I can't be mad at them. I mean, if, if I hadn't, I mean, the difference is they heard the testimony in the courtroom. I've been to my client's house. I, I've known her these last couple of years. I, you know, I believe her and they didn't. Yeah. Um, I can't say I don't trust them just because they disagreed with me. I mean, if, I tell my wife, I think this is the best movie ever made. And she watches it. Well, that's a really stupid movie. I mean, do I not trust her anymore? No, we just have a different opinion on things. Yeah. So I want to change the tone a little bit. Let's talk about what went well. Okay. Well, one, um, we ran a very smooth trial. We ran a very fast trial. We put on 11 witnesses. We put on three. We The first day we did jury selection in the morning. Then we did opening statement. And... Uh, put on three witnesses in the afternoon. Uh, we had a little bit of a miscommunication with the client. I had told her to be there at noon. She was waiting for a phone call before she came. Because I don't like having my client in the, in the trial of the whole courtroom. I'll mm-hmm. talk about that later. But she was waiting for a phone call. We didn't realize we could take. We normally can't take cell phones to the federal court. We thought she was just going to meet us there. And so when it's, she was going to be our first witness. I don't normally like doing that, but I need, really needed to tell the story of what happened with someone that would say my client was hurt, and I was worried the truck driver would say she didn't look hurt. So uh, she wasn't there, and so we had to start with a video. <laughs> but, you know, we didn't panic. We just did what we needed to do, uh, and we got our case on, and our other witnesses, we went, and we put them on. We told the story we thought they needed to tell and, and got them off, and we were concise and respected the jury's time. I felt very comfortable. I didn't feel rushed. I think I had good pauses, a good eye contact. Uh, I got two new toys for this trial. I got what they call the king flip chart. So it's like a flip chart, but it's just double wide. And uh, it was so much easier to write where people could see it. And I only used it for the closing. I wish I had used it with the witnesses. It probably would have meant we would have gone a little longer in the trial to do Mm -hmm. this. But I think it was to slow us down a little bit. When the witnesses said something important, I think I'd like to have like one sheet that said before, one sheet that said after, and, and then write down things. Uh, you know, we had, I thought we had good witnesses. We had, you know, our client, her husband, her daughter, uh, a friend of hers, her niece, and her sister. Of course, they're all like friends and family, but who else? I mean, she didn't work. She was a recent immigrant in the United States. I thought it was going well. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I did a really good cross of their expert. Uh, evidently, maybe maybe not good enough. I don't know. Uh, well, they found some injury. I mean, they had their medical expert and they had their biomechanical expert. I thought I did a really good job with the bio. Maybe it wasn't good enough. It's hard to tell. But. You you mentioned that our client was recent immigrant. 
And I know our client is a fluent Spanish speaker. So I'm interested to hear, you know, was there a point where you thought it makes it a more difficult case when you're trying to tell your client's story and they are not fluent in English? It makes it a lot tougher. Uh, even though I'm sure a lot of our jurors probably spoke Spanish too. Uh, one is that I speak Spanish, but I would say I'm about 80, 85% fluent. And I think I still have trouble really fully being able to get their story and teach them how to teach them how to, to tell their story uh, without some help. Uh, Odalis, one of our associates, is a native Spanish speaker, and she's uh, she was a great help on that. Uh, but the interpreters, they always get a few words wrong, and they, they always the the context, the tone of voice, the the expressions, you lose mm -hmm. all of that. Uh, you lose the ability to have someone just look the jurors in the eye and talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, I think having the majority of our witnesses being Spanish-speaking, although the defendant was Spanish-speaking too, although but he was just such a minor thing. He didn't fight liability. Right. They didn't agree to liability, but he didn't. He admitted he wasn't looking and he hit her and it was his fault. But I think it made it a lot harder to tell a story. I think the other thing is I love our doctor, but our doctor he was originally from Puerto Rico. He's a brilliant doctor, but he has a very thick accent. Mm. Uh, and he sometimes is like struggling for the word and whereas their doctor who's their paid doctor is a great communicator and uh, i'm really looking for on our cases when we have our doctors that don't communicate well a good plaintiff's ime doctor someone that can examine our client review all the medical records and then speak coherently and persuasively on behalf of our client i think that would be very useful to have in our cases oh absolutely you know, when you talk about communicating with the jurors, if you have someone up there who is trying to really think about what they're saying, I can see where as a juror, I'm wondering, are you thinking about the word or are they hesitating with their response as well? That I'm sure was a challenge. Um, you mentioned that you had two new toys and you talked about the King flip chart, but what was your other toy? We just got a magnetic whiteboard and it had Raul in our office. He's our graphic designer, just... You know, one of the challenges with a Spanish-speaking witness is the way she would describe the crash when you got an interpreter that could get confusing. Mm -hmm. And so we just got a magnetic whiteboard and we just did cutouts of the, you know, the tractor, the truck tractor and her vehicle. And just we were able to use those to describe how the crash happened. I was going to use it with my client, but then I, uh, I it was so clear when I cross-examined the defendant driver first before I put her on uh, that I didn't need to. But I used it in my opening, I used it with him, and it really did help. Good. You know, um, we'll definitely have to share a link to purchase the King flip chart and also share some photos of the magnetic boards with the visuals. But it was a process for us to try and figure out how to make those magnetic um, visuals work. So it wasn't right at first, but eventually we got to it. And then when you used it, it was something simple, but it just... It made it easy for people to visualize what happened and to tell a story. Yeah, and it saves, you know, you know, one, we didn't have the budget in this case to do animations. But, you know, when you do animations, there's always a cross-examination to be done on animation because you can, you're always having to assume something, you know, knowing exactly what happened frame by frame, which is what an animation is, is really tough. But if you just get the cars, you know, and you can get toy cars. So the problem with toy cars is unless they're a mag magnet and mounted vertically, like the experts playing when the jurors don't really see what's happening. I, I like yeah. this because it's up and all the jurors can see it. Now, we still had the jurors. 
It was a little more challenging because the jurors were spaced out due to COVID concerns still. Okay. Uh, we actually had to wear masks when we weren't speaking in trial. And then the jurors had, so they were, you know, not all, like some of them were in the jury box, some were, two were like on the side, uh, but they were all spaced out, not like they normally would be all next to each other in the jury box. So it was a little more challenging to put our visuals where they could all see them. Mm-hmm. Well, I like that you still did something on a budget. Not everyone's going to have the money to, yeah. to do a, an animation. So I, I really loved seeing the creativity. Yeah. And when you have a low PD case and you don't have a ton of money to put into case expenses, that's when you need to be creative. Yeah. And, um, and we could have put magnets on some model cars too, if we wanted to, but I mean, just basically, you know, Raul found some stock images of the, of the, of a tractor unit in a car and that that couldn't have cost more than 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I don't know what it cost to print them on foam board, but it wasn't that much. I mean, nope. and then we just bought some magnets at, you know, Michael's or I don't know where we went, Hobby Lobby or somewhere, and, <laughs> you know, put them to the back and had to figure out how much magnet was too much where it didn't want to move and how much magnet yep. was okay. And, uh, but I mean, the whole thing, I mean, I think the magnetic board cost us a couple hundred bucks, but the whole thing for the rest of the visual was probably 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, you can be creative and you don't have to spend a ton of money. I agree. You mentioned um, Odali's assisting with translating for our client. You tried this case with two other attorneys. And we always talk about growing from within and training and, and becoming elite. And I think part of that is making sure that everyone gets to learn from Michael Cowan and, and be a part of it. So tell me a little bit about how did you use the associates in this trial? And um, what do you think were some takeaways that they came with? Yeah, so I had them each take uh, two of the witnesses. I had Robert do the two English-speaking before and after witnesses, the client's daughter and niece. And I had Odalis do her sister and a friend of hers that they were in English classes together and they used to have breakfast together. Uh, just, you know, they both, both the big thing is to show how well she was doing before and how she's not the same afterwards. Uh, you know, it's a little scary because I know, I mean, nothing against either one of them, but I've tried a hundred something cases. I think Robert's been involved in a couple of trials. Odali's just got our license in November and never been in a trial before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know it's going to be, they're not going to do it quite as well as I am. Uh, they're going to do a little different, but how else do they learn? Right. Uh, and this way, you know, if they forget to ask a question, I can still pass them a note. Um, and I think they did quite well. Um, the other nice thing is, you know, we all agree to what, you know, we all met together with the witnesses to learn what stories do you have to tell. And so we all met and I well, tell me how she was before. Give me examples. Give me stories. Tell me how she's different afterwards. Give me examples. So we're never telling them what to say. We are spending time with them. Uh, now, the one issue with this case is this case should have been tried in 2020 and then COVID stopped it. And mm-hmm. so because it was federal court, everything got frozen back in 2020. Uh, we've since learned a lot about adding, getting more photos and videos and stuff. We didn't we ended up with one photo from before. It was a photo of her doing yoga, which I thought was a really good photo. because She yeah. was doing like a headstand, uh, which I don't think you could do if you had a hernia disc. That is disc. not easy. <laughs> the defense suggested that that may have been what created her disc. Oh, that's... my gosh. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. They said that would have been a lot more force on your neck than the, than the crash. <laughs> uh, may have been, too. Who knows? But it was force your body's designed to take. It's a different kind of force. But it, it made it a lot easier because I didn't have to prep every witness. I mean, mm-hmm. it's overwhelming to go try to prep, especially when it's an out-of-town trial. So you only have – got to go there to prep them. And, you know, 
being able to break up, we all went to the client's house and I got two, they got two, and they each had two and it made it easier to prep. Uh, it made the trial a lot easier when I'm doing two or three witnesses a day instead of doing every witness. Right. Uh, it's a little less fun, honestly. I mean, I enjoy in watching them blossom uh, and watching them do things, but it's also more fun just to go cowboy it up and go do it yourself. Yeah. Uh, but I think from now on, I'm going to try to, every time I, I'm in trial to let someone else develop because frankly, I love trying cases, but I mean, I'm looking at our trial calendar and being the only person really trying cases of this firm is overwhelming. It is. And I want other people to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. A few of our fans might be saying, Michael Cowan trying a low PD case. <laughs> so what what was your reasoning behind trying this case then? Is it to teach? Because you did get to teach two of our other associates some skills and help them you know, have that trial experience that they don't normally get. So was that part of why you thought, okay, I'm going to try this case with them? No, uh, it was, I tried it because I thought I could win it, honestly. <laughs> uh, and I tried it because I believed in the case. But, uh, you know, my partner Mallory is on maternity leave. And I may have let her try this case without me. The Robert and Odalis are good lawyers. But, you know, it's not fair to throw them in. To go try a case when, you know, it's been years since Robert's tried a case. I and mean, he's never first heard a plaintiff's case. He's been in trial on the defense side, but he's never been in trial on the plaintiff's side. And then she's brand new. That wouldn't be fair to the client. wouldn't be fair to her. It was also one of our big referring lawyers uh, who we get a lot of work from. And we'd been doing referrals from him for like 10 years, I think. And yeah. not one of the cases had ever gone to trial. And to let the first one, especially a tough one, get tried by someone else, if we didn't get a perfect result, I'd be like, well, hey, well, I'm giving it to you. You're sitting in the B team, even though I don't consider them the B team, he would. Uh, And so this way I can at least say, look, we've done everything we can. I tried it. But also I hadn't tried a jury trial to verdict in two years. And this was the first. I mean, if we had one in October, we tried for a while and it settled. But this was my first chance to get back in there and do it. And and I was so looking forward to it. I remember after the depot bore, the the, the defense lawyer says, well, check your email. You're going to have an offer coming in. I'm like, and I was actually like, man. Hope they don't offer me good money. I want to. I want to try this thing. Then the offer was twenty five thousand. Well, that's easy. Yeah, <laughs> I can still get to try yeah. this thing. But uh, you know, I wanted to get back in there and mix it up. I've got. Uh, I'm trying not to take these cases anymore, just because it's. It is true that all the time I spend on this case is the time I've not spent on the burn death case I have that's set for trial in May. I've got mm-hmm. an amputation case set for trial in August. We've got several other death cases and amputation cases in the office that need my time. And so on one hand, at this point in my career, I probably need to say no to these cases because I want to put the time in these other cases deserve. Not that I'm too good for them. It's just there's only so much energy to go around and only so many hours in the day. Uh, I also think I need to have the humility to know that I'm not the only person that can try these, that there are other great lawyers in South Texas that can and, and maybe some up and coming, you know, five to 15 year lawyers that need this opportunity and want this opportunity. And some of them are going to pop some of these and right. let them have them. I agree. You um, mentioned early on, and I kind of want to circle back on that because we've talked about it before. You didn't have the client in the courtroom because you didn't want the jurors looking at her the whole time. So tell me a little bit about why you made that decision again here. And, um, you know, how did that go? I don't think it was not awkward at all. I had her in the courtroom when she testified. Uh, she was also sitting in the gallery when other people were testifying on the second day of trial. And I had her sit next to me in closing. I thought that was important. But uh, I don't like to have the client sitting there in clear view of the jury through the whole trial. One, she doesn't speak English. So it's like 
she's just sitting around bored and wondering what's happening in a foreign language where she understands like every fourth word. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is the jurors are going to be watching her like, okay, she says her back hurts if she sits down too long. Well, how long has it been since she got up? So she may be sitting there struggling because she doesn't want to like be getting up and down while they're and interrupting the courtroom proceeding. But they think, oh, she must be faking. Right. Or her neck is hurt. Well, how is she moving her head? How is she? I mean, so instead of paying attention to the evidence, they're paying attention to her. Uh, you know, typically you get rid of her, then they focus on the defense. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious. You mentioned mindset and feeling really good about this case. So what was it that, that made you feel like you didn't have to worry about the result while you were in the case? Was it the prep that you did for the case? Was it the prep you've been doing on mindset? What helped you feel like that? It's the prep I've been doing on, it's on mindset. It's the acknowledgement that I have absolutely no control over what the jurors are going to do. I have the ability to try to persuade them. I have the ability to give them the tools they need to do the right thing, but I cannot make them vote my way. Uh, and so I just have to give it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I tell myself, repeat, like, I'm going to have fun. I don't know whether I'm going to win this trial or not. I've told that to people. Like, I'm not saying I'm kicking their ass. I'm saying I'm having fun. Uh, because if we think of the two ways we could have done this, I don't think it would have changed the outcome had I been more pessimistic during the yeah. trial. Uh, but I would have had a miserable time where I had this time, at least I had a great time and then got my ass kicked instead of, you know, I think I, I have a friend that put on my Facebook. It's like, you know, when you ride a bull, you got to stay till and it bucks you off sometimes. Some of that, you know, and, and I feel like I just rode a bull for seven seconds. Because in rodeo, if you don't ride the bull for eight seconds, you don't get any points. So it's yeah. like I, I, I had the, the great experience of riding the bull, but I didn't get to hold on quite enough. I didn't quite get there, you know. For what it's worth, you still got on the bull. And I think every trial lawyer who goes to trial regularly enjoys the adrenaline rush and the thrill and yeah. everything beautiful about going to trial. And if you don't go to trial, if you don't if you don't get up there and, and take a swing at it, then you can never win. I mean, the best home run hitters, I mean – what, they one out of three, one out of four, they knock it out of the park and they strike out a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the trials that we have, we're going to absolutely destroy them. They pass on those cases generally. And so, you know, the tri- cases you get to try tend to be the ones that are tougher. And so, you know, you just have to let it go. And we do hit some of them. And I've, and I've hit these kind of cases. I mean, that's the one thing that frustrates me because I know I can do it. I know there are jurors out there that can do it, but it really depends on who's on the jury. And we just didn't have the right panel in this case. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the panel. I'm not a lawyer, so please correct me if I'm wrong. But when you are trying a case in state court versus federal court, don't you need a unanimous verdict? Yeah, and he decided to go with 10 instead of 6 because I guess he was worried about losing some because of COVID, which made it even worse because then you have to have 10 people that are unanimous. And so, you know, you have one or two skeptics that can really pull your verdict down. I mean, they were out for two and a half hours, so they were definitely talking about it. I definitely have some people on our side, just not enough. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the other things that was tough in this case is that I didn't have a villain. What was it like? Because I was a villain. It was tough because you know we had survived summary judgment on the lack of training, but it wasn't. It was a weak case, and I didn't think I would. I really had causation on the lack of training. I mean, we didn't. We didn't have a trucking expert. Uh, I don't think one would have helped. I mean, they they claimed they did a little bit of training, but they didn't train specifically on like you need to look where you're going. You not, don't get distracted, but. I thought I would have lost credibility because I know that the custom in Laredo, Texas is not to train your drivers because I've had enough cases there. And so if I said you need to do all this training and everyone was going to go home and talk to their husband, their cousin, and they're like, ah, that's bullshit. No one does that, that I would lose credibility. Right. Uh, and also I didn't think it was a piss off factor 
and the driver admitted that he didn't really make much of an excuse for it. I mean, he tried to say he took his foot off and it was a neutral. My lady said he hit the gas and she heard him. But it wasn't that much of a piss-off factor. I tried to make the experts, you know, being deceptive a piss-off factor. I've done that before. In this case, it didn't work. Uh, but I didn't have any real, you know, they were being reasonable. They're like, yes, she had a soft tissue injury, but we didn't call it a disc, disc injury. You know, this was really minor, you know, five miles an hour. Maybe it caused this and give her some money for that, but not for, it's not hard enough to injure a disc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just, I didn't have a really good villain and it made it, you know, it's so hard to get a jury to give money just because your client's hurt. They usually, you get big money when, when someone's done something wrong and they're mad at, mad about it. And I didn't. I wasn't able to find anything that would make people mad, and it made it a lot harder. And, you know, I think we have to look for that in every case, but it's not always there. I mean, sometimes yeah. it really is just, you know, like this one, an accident in a parking lot. And, uh, right. Well, and you you talk about this a lot on the podcast, but also in your annual Big Rig Boot Camp, which is coming up in June for mm-hmm. anyone listening. But you're right. You also can't just make one up to make one up. And I, I agree with you. I think it wouldn't have felt right or real or honest if you had made one up simply just to make one up. It also wouldn't have helped right. because it, it wouldn't have been real and we, we wouldn't have gotten away with it. Um, I mean, I'm all for looking hard in every case for the root cause. It's just a lot harder to get jurors upset about a five mile an hour parking lot crash yeah. than it is when we have our big smashes. I mean, mm-hmm. it just, but it doesn't mean we should get those cases up because people really no. do get hurt. And someone needs to fight those. And, you know, I've unfortunately, fortunately or unfortunately, we still have some in the office um, that I will be trying. And, you know, I'm going to win some of them. I've done it before, but I'm not going to win all of them. When you try the tough cases, you're not going to win 100 percent. But uh, the only way to lose permanently is to quit doing them. I mean, I'll get them next time. Well, and and those people still deserve their day in court. And you gave it to them. Yeah. I didn't get her everything she deserved. And, uh, and I am sorry about that. And I wish that I had some way to do it. I don't know of anything else I could have done other than you take, it's kind of like rolling the roulette wheel. Are you going to be black today? You're going to be red today. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that trials, there is some randomness to it. We've seen in focus groups where we present the same case and we break people up in different deliberation rooms. They have, I mean, we had one room was zero. Another one was 51 million. I mean, it's, they can be that wildly yeah. divergent. And so, you know, you try cases and there's, there is a component to luck involved. And then the only way you get lucky is to either, I guess you can be like cherry pick and only try like the perfect case or those of us that have to try real cases, uh, you just keep swinging and you know that sometimes you're going to, you know, like this one, you got on first. (laughs) Sometimes you hit a home run and sometimes you strike out, but you just got to keep swinging. Well, I'm happy you got on base. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, At least, you know, it could be worse. Like I said, yeah, it could be worse. It could. But at the same time, I'm not going to lower my standards. I am not going to lie to the rest of the world and pretend like something's a victory when I don't believe that it was, because I don't think there's any integrity to that. Um, and I'm not going to let it make me quit. I was here, you know, by, I was here early. I was one of the first people at work this morning. And, uh, yeah. you know, we're going to work on the next cases. We're going to get ready for the next trial and uh, looking forward to uh, getting back in the ring. Well, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy we did this. I am very proud of you for being real and open and honest about your experience. I think that's the only way that we all grow and sharing this, I think is a part of that. So thank you for doing that. 
Well, thank you. And hopefully our listenership doesn't drop off now. <laughs> but, uh, no. If anything, I encourage everyone to go to our private group, <laughs> Traveler Nation Insider Circle. Show Michael some love. What you did today <laughs> was difficult. And I am well, honored you. you let me be a part of it. But I also encourage everyone to share as well. And I just want to encourage you, when, you know, when as courts are opening back up, get in there and try cases. It doesn't matter. You know, the fact is, the next time I have a case against this lawyer or this adjuster, they're more likely to settle with me because they know that I didn't chicken out. Mm -hmm. And they know that I tried the case well. And they know that the jury was out for two and a half hours and it could have gone either way. Right. Uh, Nothing bad happens to you for trying cases. No one's going to take your license away. People aren't going to stop giving you work. No one remembers your losses. Everybody remembers your wins. Get in there and mix it up. And if you keep swinging, you're going to hit something. Mm -hmm. So get out there and swing. And your your client was still happy and thankful at the end. She was. And, and it is our job to fight for them. So she had a great fighter. She had a, she's a wonderful person. And if I had more to give her, I would have given it to her. I think you still gave it to her. <laughs> I gave her everything I, I have. Yeah, <laughs> you still, you yeah. still did a great job and I'm yeah. proud of you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Michael, for doing this and for sharing and being honest. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Trial Lawyer Nation. I hope you enjoyed our show. If you'd like to receive updates, insider information, and more from Trial Lawyer Nation, sign up for our mailing list at triallawyernation.com. You can also visit our episodes page on the website for show notes and direct links to any resources in this or any past episode. To help more attorneys find our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast on any of our social media outlets. If you'd like access to exclusive, plaintiff lawyer-only content and live monthly discussions with me, send a request to join the Trial Lawyer Nation Insider Circle Facebook group. Thanks again for tuning in. I look forward to having you with us next time on Trial Lawyer Nation. Each year, the law firm of Cowan Rodriguez Peacock pays millions of dollars in co-counsel fees to attorneys nationwide on trucking and commercial vehicle cases. If you have an injury case involving death or catastrophic injuries and would like to partner with our firm, please contact us. You can reach Delisi Friday by calling 210-941-1301 or send an email to delisi at cowanlaw.com. That's D-E-L-I-S-I at cowanlaw.com. She will coordinate a time for Michael Cowan to speak with you in person or by phone to discuss the case in detail and see where we can add value in a partnership. This podcast has been hosted by Michael Cowan. It is not intended to, nor does it create the attorney-client privilege between our host, guest, and any listener for any reason. Content from the podcast is not to be interpreted as legal advice. All thoughts and opinions expressed herein are only those from which they came.